Hello and welcome to Borderlines, a podcast for the discussion of Canadian immigration law. I'm Steve Murens. On June 7, 2022, Immigration, Refugees and Citizenship Canada announced that, quote, the Honorable Sean Fraser, Minister of Immigration, Refugees and Citizenship, announced enhancements to Canada's Super Visa program. These enhancements will make it easier for Canadians to reunite with their parents and grandparents in Canada and will allow Super Visa holders to stay for a longer period of time. These changes, which come into force on July 4, 2022, will, number one, increase the length of stay for Super Visa holders to five years per entry into Canada, and number two, allow the Minister of Immigration, Refugees, and Citizenship to designate international medical insurance companies to provide coverage to Super Visa applicants in the future. The press release also contained quotes from Minister Fraser about the benefits of the policy that he was enacting, as well as a quote from the Minister of Public Safety, Marco Mendicino, who is the former Minister of Immigration, also stressing the importance of these measures. What the press release did not say was that these policy enactments were simply enacting through policy a private member's bill that was con- submitted by Conservative Member of Parliament Kyle Seaback. In fact, about a month prior to the June 7 press release that IRCC did, Marie-France Lalonde, the Parliamentary Secretary to the Minister of Immigration, told the House of Commons Standing Committee on Citizenship and Immigration that the Government of Canada opposed allowing super visas to be purchased from, or super visa insurance, rather, to be purchased from foreign countries, and that the government only wanted to increase the length of super visas from two years to three. My guest today is Kyle Seaback, the Member of Parliament who introduced Bill C-242, which was the bill to increase the length of super visas from two years to five years and allow IRCC to designate international medical insurance companies to provide coverage to super visa applicants. His bill also called on the government to report to Parliament whether it was possible to reduce or eventually abolish the low-income requirement for super visa applicants for the sponsors of super visa applicants. Mr. Seaback and I discussed the contents of his bill, whether he thinks the government would have made the changes that it did without his bill, and other immigration issues that his constituents have. Mr. Seaback can be reached on Twitter at, at Kyle Seaback, K Y L E S E E B A C K. If you like the show and today's episode, please leave a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And I hope you enjoy today's episode. Maybe first you can describe a little bit about who you are and why you became a member of parliament. Well, I'm one of those guys who want to be a member of parliament for a really long time. And I got started in politics when I was 14 years old. My dad, uh, at the time, he had uh, done some stuff locally, raised some money locally for former Premier Bill Davis. So he he was a progressive conservative. And when Premier Davis retired, there was a nomination meeting to replace him. And one of my dad's uh, good friends uh, was running in the nomination, Peter Robertson, who at the time was a city councillor in Brampton. 
So I went to the nomination meeting at 14 to get a membership, was just enthralled by the process. Uh, nominations back then were, were, were different than now. They're kind of grand events. And, you know, there were people wearing hats and buttons and signs and all kinds of things going on. And I thought it was pretty cool. Uh, Peter Robertson, uh, interestingly enough, uh, was in first place on the first ballot. And back then it wasn't preferential. You had to come back to vote. Uh, first place on the second ballot, first place on the third ballot, uh, and second place on the final fourth ballot. Um, I was hooked. And so from that point on, I would say to people, you know, one day I'm going to be a member of parliament. Didn't know the distinction at the time. He was actually running for MPP, but that's okay. Uh, that's how it all started for me. And you're currently the member of, I want to make sure I pronounce it properly, Dufferin Caledon? Yes, Dufferin Caledon. Dufferin Caledon. And which is, is it all of Brampton or it's part of Brampton? No, none of Brampton. None of um, Brampton. I was the member of parliament uh, for Brampton West. That's yeah. where I was elected in 2011, uh, defeated in 2015. And now I'm the member of parliament for Dufferin Caledon. It borders on Brampton. Okay. Um, so it's, it's, it's the adjacent riding, but very different. You know, it's a, it's a large uh, geographic riding, um, uh, predominantly, uh, predominantly rural. Predominantly rural. And how then did the topic of super visas come to interest you? Do you have a lot of constituency interest? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, Brampton is a very multicultural place. I was born and raised there, was a member of parliament there. Um, and, you know, we brought in the supervisa in 2011 when we were the government and I was a member of that, uh, of the Conservative Party when we were the government. So I thought it was a great idea then. And over time, though, you know, I would hear about some of the challenges with the supervisa. And that's been my experience. And interestingly enough, um, there's a large new Canadian community that's moving into my riding all the time. It's, it's getting bigger and bigger all the time. And I heard about this on the 2019 campaign trail, uh, talking to people about it. Uh, and so part of my idea, so this, this idea I had um, to improve the super visa, part of it actually made it into our platform in the last election, which was um, extending it from two years, uh, the, the amount of time you could stay from two years to five years. And was that something you had raised with Aaron O'Toole at the time or whatever the team that was drafting policy? Yeah, absolutely. I wrote a little, a little paper on some issues, uh, including immigration issues. And one of my recommendations was to enhance the supervisa. I think I had read that this was your first private member's bill. Yeah, it is. Um, private member's bills, everyone can, can submit a private member's bill. But there's actually a lottery system to determine when your private member's bill will be dealt with by parliament. Mm -hmm. So in the previous parliament, I think my number was something like 278. Uh, so I never got reached uh, to introduce one. I could have, of course, introduced one, but I knew it wouldn't actually um, come before parliament. So I, I chose not to. But this time I got pretty lucky and I got the number two, uh, the number two draw in this, so you in this parliament. And do you have to have your legislation proposed in advance or is it just the names of MPs that are part of the lottery? No, just the names. There's a lottery for all 338 MPs and you get a number from one to 338. Oh, okay. And when you introduce a private member's bill, does like the leader of the opposition in this case have to vet it or? 
does it become they, like like what would be it would it become almost cpc a conservative bill yeah so you know um when you come up with the idea uh you then work with the library of parliament to get it drafted properly which i did and then i submitted it to um at the time our shadow minister for uh, citizenship and immigration uh, which was uh, jazraj halan yeah. and uh jazraj then looks at it and at the time he was in shadow cabinet and i was not and so then it goes through shadow cabinet they look at it and decide you know is this a bill uh that we think is good um caucus gets to you know weigh in their opinions on it and then the shadow minister is going to you know make a recommendation um and uh, of course they recommended to uh, proceed and support this bill did the change in leadership from Aaron O'Toole to the current leader impacted yeah. or is it is that the leadership race kind of separate from the private members bills so it was introduced when Aaron was still the leader um i don't remember exactly when that was but I think I had to table my bill um, sometime uh, in uh, either sometime in January or February. I can't yeah. remember the exact date, but there's a time frame for that you have to, if your bill isn't submitted by that time, you've lost your slot. So I had to get it done by then. So it was end of January, uh, start of February that I submitted uh, my, my private member's bill. I, started, I had to start working on it right after the election. Um, pretty quickly because they had the draw and your number two, I knew that I had to be ready in January. Uh, Parliament came back, I think the end of November or something. So I had very little time to, to put this bill together. Yeah. And so let's get into the substance of the bill. Um, when I read it, it seemed to do three main things. And the first, and I Actually, until I read the committee testimony, I thought the most significant was increasing uh, the amount that someone could stay from two years to five years. Why was that important to you? Well, so for me, I have a, you know, a large uh, Indo-Canadian community in my riding, and, and it was the same in, in Brampton. And I know this isn't how the super visa works. I know that you can come for five entire years and stay with what my bill proposes. And before it was two years, you could apply for extensions. Um, but in the Indo-Canadian community, it's not uncommon for parents or grandparents to come for around four or five months. They come for the summer months. Then they want to go you know, back home where they have you know, other family and other you know, social circles. So when I looked at the time frame, I sort of said, you know, four to five months a year, uh, you know, that, you know, that's, that's a good, that's a good range. So five years. No. And what I like about it also is that a theme that I've raised a couple times is it minimizes the amount of interactions and applications that people have to file. And I'm sure your office uh, is aware that how many, how big the backlogs are. And yeah, ab- Absolutely. Just so anything it, that reduces the number of applications that go right. in seems to be a good thing. Yeah. So it reduces the number of times you have to apply to renew. That's a great thing. Number two, um, it also gives you that flexibility of that five years. If you were there, for example, and uh, one of your children had uh, a couple of children or you have several children here who are each having children, it's so great to have a parent or grandparent there, not only just to celebrate that, to, but of course, uh, to help with that. It, it really gives families, to me, so much more flexibility having five years than two. 
Yeah. The other change that uh, it introduces is that it lets the minister designate health insurance companies from outside of Canada to provide uh, just to provide the health insurance coverage to super visa holders. So and I, in your testimony to uh, the committee, you noted that it can cost someone in their early 70s with no pre-existing medical condition anywhere from 1700 to 4600 a year, which I, I didn't, um, I mean, I knew the coverage was expensive. And that's why I think that at, this actually might be as big a deal to Supervisa holders. Yeah, the, the cost issue is a huge one. And it also, the five years is also part of my calculation, the cost, because flying back and forth is also expensive. Mm -hmm. So you've got flying back and forth, which can be expensive. Uh, you have the health insurance, which can be expensive, all of which are barriers to someone having their parent or grandparent come and spend time with them. So my goal in this bill was to reduce those barriers as much as possible. Yeah. And hopefully um, foreign insurance companies will create competition, which will lower price. That's the goal. Yeah. And hopefully that uh, does happen. And the last part of the bill was requiring the immigration minister to prepare a report to parliament, or at least as part of the minister's annual reports to parliament on reducing the low income threshold for parents and grandparents. Yeah, this one, this one is big as well. And to me, and I, I said this at committee, we're approaching this in the wrong way. You know, we look at this and say, oh, well, bringing a parent or a grandparent here, this is a financial burden. And therefore, the host family has to have a certain amount of income in order to support that parent or grandparent coming here. And what I've learned in the course of, you know, researching my bill is that it's, of course, the exact opposite. Um, what they, they actually contribute to the economic success of the family here in so many ways. Um, you know, the examples I've cited are, um, maybe it allows, uh, uh, you know, one of the children here to take an extra shift at work because, um, you know, they've got a parent or a grandparent there that can, you know, watch the children. Uh, they can also provide some, some daycare services and therefore save some money on those costs. And the other thing that I raised uh, at committee um, when I was asking some questions uh, earlier this week is, you know, the, the diaspora remittance back to the home country, which is incredibly significant. Um, having a parent or grandparent here in many cases will mean that that money stays here as well. So yeah. all of it is actually an economic boon to the family and to Canada. Yeah. And I don't know if the daycare situation is as dire in Ontario as it is in British Columbia, um, but it's like expensive and hard to get spots in daycare. So certainly, at least my perspective is, yeah, having the parent or grandparent here is almost... I mean, it's just one, it allows both parents to go back to work, kind of, as you noted, that it's not really a cost. 100%. And in, and in so many communities, uh, in so many cultural communities, putting your child in daycare isn't really a great option. You know, my experience is, is highly with the, uh, the Indo-Canadian community, uh, because those were the, the largest, uh, largest group in, in both my, both my ridings. Um, they're not, big fans of um, institutional daycare. They would much rather have their children raised in their home. Yeah. And this is, a, this is a big plus for them. And I mean, it's a bit of a different topic, but as the complaints that you heard about the 
super visa with the low income requirement. Did you also hear about the um, for sponsoring parents and grandparents to immigrate? Well, I think, you know, I think the challenge that we have with that in Canada is that the intake number that is set through immigration levels is so much lower than um, the number of people that actually want to come here. So it's really challenging to design a system that doesn't either A, uh, develop massive backlogs. We had massive backlogs in uh, that immigration category uh, when the Conservative Party took over as the government in 2006. Um, And now uh, they've tried a lottery system. They've tried a, you know, enter your code into the computer first system, both of which um, have those spots fill up, I think, in under five minutes. So yeah, that that part of our, our immigration is exceptionally challenging and I think very frustrating for a lot of Canadian families. Yeah. And it also has its own unique, like for sponsoring for the super visa, it's meeting the low income requirement and then permanently sponsoring, it's the low income requirement plus 30%, although that's right. been reduced uh, during COVID. Uh, but anyway, so, um, so what was interesting about your private members bill as someone who's watched uh, the immigration committee closely over the last 10, 12 years is, and when I actually reached out to your office to have you on, I hadn't, it hadn't occurred to me that it would become policy because I don't, I can't recall a private members bill ever becoming policy. Like Don Davies of a, a Burnaby MP for the NDP would propose kind of, you see the same private members bills all the time. And they're not acted upon. So when you proposed yours, did you think, like, what, what did you expect if you, the bill, how did you expect the bill to wind through the system? Yeah, I mean, you know, I guess I'll say two things. You know, first of all, imitation is the finest form of flattery. So I'm, I'm flattered yeah. that they decided to um, issue ministerial instructions to cover um, a lot of what's in my bill. Uh, but initially, it, it seemed like there was going to be some opposition from the Liberals. I remember in the speeches in the House of Commons, the parliamentary secretary seemed to indicate issues with um, the term of five years uh, and definitely issues with uh, insurance from a foreign country. So, and, and that seemed to be the witnesses that they were bringing to committee as well, witnesses that were very critical of that. Um, and also, so I was very surprised when they decided to proceed with ministerial instructions to take up those two, those two parts of my bill. Yeah. I felt the same. Like I watched the, and then read the testimony of the um, civil servants who spoke and they, you know, strongly implied that it was the, either the bureaucracy's position or the government's position that two years was sufficient and they didn't, they didn't have the capacity or expertise to look into foreign health insurance providers. And I noticed that while the liberal MPs, I wouldn't say were openly hostile to what was being proposed, their questions suggested skepticism. And then a week later, two of the three aspects were enacted through ministerial instruction. Did you know that the minister was going to enact it? No, no, I, I didn't. Um, I had a brief conversation with um, the parliamentary secretary to the minister on Tuesday, 
where she said that she indicated that the minister might be proceeding with ministerial instruction. And then a few hours later, it was announced. So, I mean, I, I wouldn't say I really had a heads up on that. Um, yeah. But I, I, I did want to just touch back on what you mentioned, the, their criticism of um, foreign insurance companies. It's one of the things that I found really curious that the department could say, so they could accredit doctors all around the world uh, mm-hmm. that you can go and see for your health, uh, you know, to, to, you know, to get your certificate that you're in good health, right? Um, they could approve doctors all over the world, uh, but they can't approve a few insurance companies. It just like the lack of, to me, the lack of common sense in putting that out was kind of astounding. Yeah, I was surprised at that. I was also surprised. Well, what really surprised me was when uh, the Canadian Immigration Lawyers Association, which is a, as it sounds, it's a, it's a newly formed group that represents immigration lawyers that they came, that they opposed the increase from two years to five years because it would encourage people to, I mean, their, their, their concern was that it would encourage people to apply for permanent residence uh, on humanitarian and compassionate grounds, which I thought was puzzling coming from that organization. And then the ministers like IRCC seemed to hint that increasing the maximum stay from two years to five years could cause issues with someone's intent, which also didn't really make sense to me because you can get work permits in certain categories for up to five years. But also Um, what they kept saying is you don't like, it's amazing to me how they sort of would um, say things to criticize the bill, but then um, through that criticism, show that there was nothing wrong with the bill. So for example, to say that five years is too long, but then say, but you can apply for two, you you get two, and then you can keep applying for these extensions, one year extensions. So you could stay for five. Okay. So let's just make it five. And And that goes to my, what I was saying earlier about like, why are we making people always apply? Right. So let's just, yeah, let's just make it five. And, and, you know, Bob's your uncle, but sometimes look, I think that in general, um, bureaucracy doesn't like change and because change requires a whole bunch of different systems, uh, different ways of doing things. And I just think there's a lot of inertia, um, in bureaucracy to keep doing things the same way. And I think that's the number one way they look at things um, when it's brought to them. And one question that people raised during committee was, well, why can't we do this through ministerial instructions, which begs the question why they didn't. Do you think it would have happened without your bill making its way through committee? No, absolutely not. No, Um, it would not have happened. My bill was absolutely the catalyst. And I think they initially opposed it. They, They were, you know, they were opposing it, but they're voting for it to get to committee, I think, so they could make changes to it. But I think they started hearing from people and I think they started hearing how popular this was. I know um, I campaigned on this locally in the last election. When I would yeah. meet with uh, groups of uh, people from cultural communities, I would say, look, if I'm reelected and I get a private member's bill, I'm going to enhance the super visa. And I would tell them what my plan was and they would say, that's fantastic. So I think uh, they started to realize how popular this was and how sort of offside with opinion they were and decided just to, you know, do a 180. Yeah. 
The one aspect that I, I don't think was enacted through ministerial instructions was the report to Parliament on reducing low income. Do you have any idea why that wasn't part of uh, the ministerial instructions, or are they just going to do that separately? Yeah, I don't, I don't know that you can do that as part of ministerial mm-hmm. instructions. Um, but my thought on ministerial instruction is this, you know, the, I guess the plus of a ministerial instruction is if they want to, they can act faster than legislation, which is true because my legislation has been, you know, working along for five months yeah. and they just did the ministerial instructions. That's the good part of it. The bad part of it is ministerial instruction can be changed just as quickly. So they could decide that, you know, uh, this is too much work to, to, to do the insurance stuff. And yeah, actually, I thought we thought about it a little more. We don't like five years. So that's the risk on this. Um, once it's legislation, you can only change it with legislation. Yeah. And the way I crafted the legislation, it kind of binds the minister's hands with respect to if, he, if there's ministerial instructions about this, it has to be this. So my belief is that my bill is still the, the far better and uh, the superior way to go for Canadians. And you mentioned that it passed committee? It did. Yes. Yeah. Was yeah, it, so it, it um, like, how did the liberals vote? All against it. All against. Yeah. It's so it was, like, uh, it's, it went down party. Yeah. So I was able to get the support of the NDP and the Bloc Québécois. So it's, it's passed out of committee. Uh, the liberals all voted against it, which I don't know, makes sort of no sense to me. Um, but yeah, they did. And, and I assume they'll, they'll vote against it in the House of Commons. Yeah. The thing that I had also noted and uh, which I tweeted about was also that the IRCC press release announcing that the super visa was going to five years and people could use international health insurance providers that are designated didn't mention at all that this originated from your bill. Yeah, I so, I mean, the minister did, send me a note um, a, uh, with a, with a chocolate bar, which was a nice gesture that he oh. sent through the <laughs> with lobby. A chocolate bar? Oh, with a chocolate bar. So, yeah. you know, saying, you know, thanks for your, your hard work on, on bill uh, C242. Um, look, uh, I think on stuff like this, you should try and not be partisan. Yeah. And if they want to do this properly, I think they should have called me in and said, look, uh, I think we're going to proceed by ministerial instruction. If we do, um, you know, will you abandon your bill and, you know, we'll co-announce it and, you know, we'll both take credit for it. You know, that's something I would have seriously considered, but instead they just sort of did the announcement, um, but sent me a chocolate bar. Yeah. Well, and it's, um, it was a good chocolate bar though. Like I got <laughs> what I gotta, brand was I, it? Actually, you know what? It was it was it was made locally in the minister's riding. It was yeah. it was delicious. So it wasn't like a Kit Kat or a coffee. No, crisp, no, you know? yeah. The uh, yeah, it um, it's one of those things that I think like Canadians want to see political parties work together, and this is an example, not necessarily of working together, but at least of like showing that different members of parliament from different political parties could propose ideas that make their way into government. And I thought it or into law or policy enacted. And uh, it was a missed opportunity, I think, to uh, show that. And it's one of the reasons that I'm glad we're doing the podcast, because then um, when it's announced or when it was announced, 
the, most media also didn't pick up that it was uh, your bill that originated it. Yeah, so. we did get we got we got CTV News to to uh, correct their story and and put in about my bill, but I think most other news organizations, you know, chose not to. Yeah, well, I don't even know, like, unless they follow committee closely, how they know. Yeah, um, yeah, that's true. No, hundred percent. Uh, like it, it, which is just you know, it's it's unfortunate, but. Hopefully, uh, this podcast can at least serve to record that uh, your involvement in this. And what, like, so you're just switching gears a little bit from Bill C-242. What other immigration issues is your office encountering now? Well, you know, the processing times for everything is just off the charts bad. Whether it's a, you know, whether it's a spousal sponsorship or, you know, a visitor visa application, it's not uncommon for us to, you know, have people calling in and, and saying, what's the status of my, you know, visitor visa application. And, you know, we say, oh, well, we've looked into it. It's um, within the new processing times. Uh, So, you know, call back in a month and a half and they'll say, but by then it's too late, right? Like what I'm trying to come for will have happened. So I think that's a that's a big challenge, and same thing with with spousal sponsorships. We're dealing with many many, really really difficult stories about families separated and the processing times being so bad. And what role does your? Because this is a question we get asked all the time: is what role does an MP or can an MP's office play? So you know there are certain circumstances you know that we can help. Um, but they're, 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 they're limited. We don't have an unlimited ability to say, you know, um, CIC process this, right? Like uh, we can follow up, we can follow up aggressively uh, to try and move, uh, get movement on a file. Sometimes we're successful, sometimes we're not, but um, we, we, uh, we really don't have the ability to magically solve files, unfortunately. And when it comes to, say, like contacting the minister for a temporary resident permit or a minister's permit, is that, I mean, I don't like want, you know, anyone listening to all of a sudden be calling your office and asking if you can do this. But have you found that process? Because you've been an MP for under two governments, um, three, I guess, if you count or yeah, three, I guess, if you count the different incarnations of the current liberal government. Has that process kind of changed, stayed the same? We've interviewed a few former um, immigration ministers who said their approach to working with MP, like each minister seemed to have their own approach to dealing with these requests from MPs. And I'm curious from your side, like, do you notice a difference minister to minister? Uh, Well, yeah, I think all ministers have a different approach. Um, Some ministers, you know, want to, incredibly restrict ministers permits others not as much yeah. uh i think it also depends on if you're in government or not i think you know the chances of me getting a minister permit were certainly better when it was a conservative government and i could you know walk the file over to you know either whether it was mr kenny or minister alexander and say look here's the file and here's the reason why i think you should you know issue a minister's permit it's a little more challenging when you're in opposition uh, but you know, you, you can have success, but they have to be incredibly, incredibly mm-hmm. meritorious. Yeah. And what is there like, do you, 
you know, if you could wave a wand, would there be a, would you give it like, should MPs, do you think have a greater role in being able to like MPs being able to issue permits or do you think the role now is sort of appropriate? Yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, that's a tough one. I, I think, I think minister's permit should be issued by the minister. Yeah. Um, I, I do think um, that there should be more opportunities to bring more cases to the to minister's office on these things, because there's a lot more, you know, meritorious cases, you know, out there than you think. It just made me think of, I remember one that I did get um, back when I was the member of parliament for Brampton West. It was a gentleman whose uh, wife had passed away in childbirth and mm. given birth to twins. And he had applied for a visitor visa for his mother to come and help him because he's got two newborn twins. His wife has passed away and the visa was rejected. Um, and, you know, the minister, uh, uh, Minister Kenny issued the permit. And, you know, he came to my constituency office with his mom and his two kids and, you know, he's just so grateful. And those are, those are the great, great moments of this job. Yeah. It'd be nice to be able to help, you know, more people that are in, you know, uh, circumstances like that. Yeah. And it's, I think there's, especially right now, a lot more, well, just, I think the processing, like the way COVID, at least officially the way COVID has impacted things has left thing like a lot of people in similar situations I, I look i think on visitors visas and for me my specialty really is um is is india but um there's a difference between visitor visas processed in delhi and chandigarh you know chandigarh is in punjab and uh, the acceptance rates somewhere are usually around 50 percent i think i think there has to be a long hard look taken at that uh, because i think the thinking is you know 30 years 30 years ago because the worry is is far too much that the person you know will not return at the end of that visa i think the risk is significantly lower than is being applied to the visas so you must then if you're like if that's the largest constituency in your riding that's facing immigration issues get specific complaints about that visa office as well about how it is way slower than other posts right now yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. No, I think Parliament or the committee is also studying differential uh, processing times right now. And I know that um, I think Canadian Bar Association is preparing a specific, like, what is going on at the visa offices in India right now? I think there's just an issue in general with um, visa offices in the global south uh, yep. that has to be that that has to be looked at. And um looked at very critically yeah no definitely um this was great thanks uh thanks for coming on um i hope you so you i hope you're able to stay involved in immigration uh matters and uh yeah like hopefully you get an early draw in the next <laughs> in the next lottery however um so they're annual the lottery or no no it's it's per term of parliament Oh, okay. so, so it has to so, go through. So this is it until Parliament's dissolved and there's a new election. And if I'm reelected, then, you know, I'll have another chance. Although, um, you know, you, um, yeah, so that, that's, my, that's my big hope. My, I actually hope that my bill passes third reading in the House of Commons and then passes the Senate and yeah. becomes law. Uh, the Senate will be a bit of a challenge, I think. Um, you know, given that the Liberals have a majority in there, although they say they don't, 
but yeah. yeah, it's going to pass the House Commons, I'm quite sure. Um, hopefully it'll pass the Senate. Who dictates the scheduling for when a private member's bill gets voted on in the House? Y- you know what? Um, that's something that happens uh, through the House leaders, although yeah. there's a certain amount of time from it coming from committee before it has to come for third reading. I, I don't know exactly what that is. Uh, I suspect that the Liberals are not going to, you know, quickly put this on uh, yeah. on the vote calendar. I, I you know, um, yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Hopefully, uh, I, I support the bill, um, and I uh, hopefully it does go through. I'm especially interested in that idea of removing the the low income threshold because it lowering. does also or yeah. lowering. Yeah. Well, I think uh, did you testify in committee though that eventually, like the ideal would be if um, yes, you know, I said they should remove it. Yeah, I was asked my my opinion on that, and I said yeah, they should remove it. Yeah, and I think unless there's evidence that you know that what the social science social studies i guess seems to indicate which is parents and grandparents coming does not impose a burden on the state like i i'm in, very intrigued at like the idea of being able to uh lower or remove that uh, the low income threshold well that's a big that's a big part of why that's in my bill that they have to prepare a report on lowering it because i'm sure they'll include in that the research as to why they're barely lowering it or they're not lowering it, that yeah. kind of stuff. Uh, because, you know, the department's been encouraged to do this research for at least six years and they haven't done it. Thank you very much for coming on. And uh, hopefully, you know, as the uh, session progresses or in different private members bill or future immigration minister bills, who knows that uh, we'll be able to have you back on. That sounds great. All right. Thank you so much.